Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. We're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in. This is episode 113. 113. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, with my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, uh... We had uh, we had some you know good shows in the past, but it uh, looks like you may have made a boo boo in, in the in the last episode. You know, I um, I was wondering how you're going to handle this. We had some listeners reach out and notify us that we made a mistake, and we're very thankful for that. That uh, the mistake was that Carl Icon or I can or I can't can't whatever you say his name is not a board member. And Josh and I went off on a tangent last week discussing that. Um, and you know, it's funny, Josh, cause we were talking about, it, I thought, God, I didn't realize he's a board member, but I'm almost positive you said it. And, um, kind of, I just, for some reason I took your word, which I should have known better, but we're going to bring in Nate. Nate, can you give us an official ruling on, is it Ryan or is it Josh? Who's the blame for the debacle on episode 112 last week? We mentioned there was a, uh, a board member that was up at arms with the way Oxy, uh, went out and acquired that Anadarko deal. He thought they overpaid for it. And his name's Carl Eichen, and he has been. So, thank you, Nate. So, this is recap here. So, this is put the blame where it falls. So, it's 100% Josh's fault for mislabeling the man, and it's 100% my fault for trusting Josh. Is that is that what I'm understanding to be correct here? Well, don't let don't let uh, evidence <laughs> get in the way of a good story, Ryan. I mean, there's no sense. And some of those things we got talking and. Went down the bunny hole. I'm sure it's not the first or last mistake, but we do appreciate the listeners pointing it out so we can make that correction publicly because people do listen to the show, obviously, and they hear us. And so someone might be like Josh or I, mistaken, and, and think that. And so we want to thank you for the folks who reached out. We had two specifically. We won't uh, name them because they've asked to remain anonymous, but they were there. So um, anyway, so yeah, so thank you for that. Um, for the listeners reaching out to the website and had someone uh, text me as well. So. Uh, Josh, we'll we'll keep you around one more week as long as there's there's no more mistakes. All right. Well, uh, Ryan, this week there's been a couple of things going on. You know, the weather's been pretty crazy. Her, I think it was a storm at first, but Hurricane Barry has uh, caused quite a bit of uh, refinery shutdowns in the Gulf, uh, along with some other things. Um, our you, one of the people that you do a podcast with, Ellen Wald with Forbes. Um, she actually released an interesting article that came out, was this, July the 12th, so a couple of days ago. And she talked about Hurricane Barry's uh, impact on oil and gas on the American side. And it was pretty good stuff in there. I, I don't know if y'all talk much about um, you know, the U.S. specific very often, but this is one of, one of our articles that instead of being focused on some of the Middle Eastern stuff, some of the things that like weather and, and conditions and refinery shutdowns and I mean, it's really insightful. Really good article. Now, Josh, because we had a boo-boo last week, I have to stop right here. This article says it's Tropical Storm Barry. Can you 100% before I go any further? I'm not sure. Did this actually become a hurricane? I've got a. I've got. I just got to question you now after last week's mistake. <laughs> <laughs> well, her her title is Hurricane Barry, and then Tropical Storm Barry is there. I, uh, so I was following the. I was following the uh, the news, and it was. It did get up. We're not giving you a hard time more than anything. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if it made it to category two, but it was a category one. I think is what it got up. Category yeah. one. Yeah, that's what I saw. Yeah. That's what. Yeah. I saw. You know, I, I saw this article, and I was wondering. 
you know, what would be the long-term impacts of this? You know, remember last year, was it last year, Josh, or two years ago, we had the hurricane come through and, um, was it Harvey? God, it's been time to flies when you have kids and all that kind of stuff. But was it Harvey down in Houston? Now it's, uh, now I'm, Harvey yeah. Harvey in Houston. And then there was another one that, that hit, um, somewhere else. And so, uh, so yeah, so you had Harvey, which was in, yeah. 2017. God, it's hard to believe it's been almost two years ago. Um, and you remember we had some long-term, I say long-term, relatively long-term shortages um, because of refineries were out and stuff like that. I don't think, and I haven't I haven't followed up this morning to see, but I think, you know, as long as you don't see any lengthy delays in refineries that are going to be shut down or things like that, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. Ellen's article here, and it's, it's good that you pointed out there's a lot of interesting stuff. And one of the things we talked about before is reading the news for what it is. And Ellen um, addre- addresses who her audience is, and a lot of people don't do that. She says, here's a look at what traders and consumers can expect. Um, so it's a lot of going to be trader-type information and stuff like that. It's interesting for us in general, but it's going to be more geared towards um, – um, um, traders and, and whatnot. So I don't, I don't think the long term. I ha- again, I haven't seen any headlines this morning that indicate anything's different. It is something that we have to track, though, because we saw with Harvey, you, you did have um, was it Motiva was down for a month or something like that. I can't remember now, but um, but yeah. So it's 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 good to track, and um, I think I, I haven't heard. There's no deaths that I've heard of that I that at least I'm not not saying there isn't, but I haven't heard of anything. So it sounds like everyone came out pretty unscathed, and probably won't be a big deal for the industry long term you know um i I expect this to not be a long-term issue as well but one of the things that's surprising to me is the so if you go back a few years ago if a drone would have been shot down and there had been these talks with iran oil prices would have went up more uh drastically and it would have been a longer term type of uh type of deal And, and not to say that it should have been i don't think that it should have been but um it seems that right now oil prices are just very resilient. They're they're not really they're not really moving uh, according to the markets like they used to. They're not quite as sensitive. Is there a trend in that, or is it just does it just feel that way now? Um, just out of curiosity, from some of your experience and perspective, uh, when when things like that happened in the past, it seemed that oil prices did respond mm. a little bit more with a little more volatility didn't yeah it? if you get the further the further in history you go back the more you'll see more volatility and i, I think that's the question that i'm not really sure and i'd love the listeners to weigh in you can shoot us a text at 318-599-9192 through the website or on linkedin I, i'm curious the listener thoughts on this because when i look at um these slight spikes and you know if you're a trader a spike is fundamentally different than someone like me or you josh you know we're looking for a you know maybe a 10 15 dollar jump in price for months and months and months on end to really impact what we're doing if you're a day trader you know a couple bucks here or whatever could could impact what you're doing um but anyways you know we're not seeing those those spikes and so some people i think rightly are concerned that maybe the market is really a lot softer um and, and the prices could fall um, and some people were thinking, you know what, maybe this is kind of setting us up for a nice uptick in prices in the long term. I personally, and this is, I don't have a hard stance on this right now, I personally think at this moment um, that we still are not fully adjusted to the shale revolution and how that ties into the larger oil picture as far as prices are concerned. And... I say that because of a couple of things. And one of the things is if you look at something like um, the debate, and we talked about this some about crude quality and where crude quality kind of fits into 
the the larger scale. And, and some people say, well, the, the, the you know the shale oil doesn't really have a place in the market, and yet that seems to drive the prices. And some people say, well, OPEC production cuts. And so I personally, and I'm not a trader, so I don't this isn't really my area of expertise. I just it seems to it seems to me that we're trying to figure out what the market, how the market should respond to things in this new era that we're in where you can get a lot of oil. Now it's different blends of oil, different grades of oil rather. Uh, but I, I think that's where we're at. And so you are seeing people react, but they also realize that theoretically shell producers can go out there and start ramping up drilling programs again. It's not going to happen overnight, but you know, back in 1995, that just wasn't going to happen. So I think we're, we're in a spot now and maybe it'll last another year or two years or I don't know, but I, I think that's where we're at. We're going to see where, where things shake out, what happens in the Permian. Do these companies continue these robust drilling programs? Do some of them go for bankruptcy? Do some of them get absorbed? How all that's going to shake out? And I think once we kind of get through that, um, you know, then we'll begin to see how prices will react to events like the drone being shot down or a hurricane or a threat of war. Uh, but I just don't think right now we're in a spot to to really to where, where the market really understands how to react to this. And the final thing is some people also speculate that a large thing that's keeping the price down right now is the trade war with China. If we get that resolved, then all of a sudden the prices, you know, the prices could go up. That's not resolved, so we don't actually know what's going to do. So there's a lot of things going on. Um, I don't really have a strong stance. This is kind of where, where I'm at right now, but I would love to love to see what the, some of the listeners may think about it. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Uh, and just to give uh, folks a rundown of, of kind of some of the companies that were shut down during the hurricane, tropical storm, it was uh, Phillips 66 shutting down, uh, which is 200,000 barrels a day. Uh, and then there is, let's see... Saudi Aramco's Motiva uh, refinery there looks like they're going to be shutting down. Uh, and there's an, one more, but uh, several in the Gulf are going to, they did shut down. I don't know when they were scheduled to come online, if they're already on, back online or or what. But, uh, you know, you would expect to see increases in the price, which I think she said there was a slight increase in WTI. Not very significant, and I expect it to go back down pretty quickly so. right and so the price a week ago the price was at 5781 today it was at 61 uh, sorry 6017 this morning um, but it looks like it's fallen some since then I think it's at uh, yeah 6017 so it's fallen you know 30 cents roughly this morning but again that's from a trader's perspective and that's what I'm trying to say Josh so if it's up three bucks over the course of a week that's not the kind of spikes that we're referring to historically where you know prices could really ramp up um, but a three buck fluctuation unless you're you know at a lot lower price point really doesn't affect what most of us and our listeners do but it is interesting to follow the general pattern of the prices to see how they go over a longer period of time so well, uh, there's another article that came out. Uh, this is with oilprice.com. Signs of slower Permian oil growth continue to emerge. Um, this is something that we've been talking about uh, at some level for the last, I'd say, month. And, and just following along with some of this, uh, I've talked to several different uh, people who are in the service side, and there's been several layoffs that have been happening as some of these companies are slowing down and work is... Uh, it just in the Permian, it's just a little bit slower than what, what we've ex- hoped for and expected, uh, especially with oil prices being, I would say, relatively strong. You know, they, they've been you know, in the 50 to 60 range for, for quite some time now. So uh, this article basically says that even though the Permian is setting new production records, like we've talked about, that the 
investors continue to be unconvinced that they will see steady, healthy returns. And uh, it seems like we're, we're repeating ourselves pretty often, but this seems to be the major story that everyone's feeling uh, in the market. Um, another company, Legacy Reserves in Midland, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. We talked about Weatherford, um, I believe. There's another approach resources. They saw their market value plunge by 99%. So uh, there's some companies out there. Exxon, Chevron, they're doing great. They're expanding kind of what we expected as well. But some of these smaller companies, they're really feeling it, and it's also translating over to some of the service side. Yeah, you know, I talked to a listener last week, and um, and then another guy I know who's not a listener but is in the industry, and he said the same thing, that, you know, they were really slowing down. And, you know, they well, one guy particularly said that um, they had had an order for their particular product that I'm not going not gonna to mention the product, but the type of product that they sell to upstream companies. Um, they had a big company come in and say, hey, we want, you know, um, you guys to design this product for us. And we're going to you know, go exclusive with you or mainly with you or whatever it was. And so they went and made the prototype, made a few units. Haven't heard back. <laughs> like, have not heard back from this. It wasn't an EMP company, but it was a, a larger field services firm. Anyways, and so I, I thought that was interesting. And, and, you know, if you remember when Blackman came on, he talked about the the tendency, uh, the, the, the likeliness that, you know, the, per, the, 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 the new drilling is going to go down in the second half of this year. And so I think that's... That's what we're seeing, and we're seeing a lot of that. But you got to balance it out. It doesn't mean that there's not a lot of pipelines being built and stuff like that in other parts of the industry. And we're going to talk about you know um, something outside the permit as well. If you go back, Josh, a long time ago, we talked about this idea of you know trying to find your spot in the market and trying to figure out what's going on. And I think that's where we're kind of at right now. It's not a it's not a hundred dollar barrel market where where everyone can get a job and you know, everything's going and everything's in high demand and, p- and things are being over overpriced and overpaid for. It's a little bit more of a strategic market. So you got to figure out what's going on, who's doing what, and you know, we haven't mentioned this recently, but the second quarter reports and conference calls are coming up. And so I would advise anyone curious what your clients are doing. This is the time, you know, it's rare you can talk to the CEO of Pioneer or Apache or whomever. Um, but this is the time you get to hear from them when they get on their, their quarterly conference call and talk about the forecast for the second year. As some of those reports come out, maybe if they're, if they're newsworthy or whatnot, we'll, we'll address some of them on the show. But if you remember, Josh, one of the things we learned last year, I think it was last year, God, the time just... It's crazy, but is we had um, you know Pioneer talking about the shortage of pipelines, and that was kind of the um, it was the Pioneer CEO was overseas and he mentioned it in a conference, and then he brought it up again on their uh, second quarter conference call, and that really got a lot of traction. We've kind of followed that story ever since. So um, at the end of the second quarter, that's what I would suggest. You know, if you're kind of worried about what's going on, you're trying to figure out what your clients are doing, or maybe prospective clients. You know, you're you're wanting to invest a lot in to go chase down Apache, just to use that name. Well, listen, is Apache going to be drilling more? What are they doing with their program? What's their second half of the year look like? Now's the time to kind of figure that out as you listen to some of these reports, and you can kind of get a forecast into what they think they're going to do next year, uh, and then as the year falls, uh, you know, progresses, you can and, you know, track what they've actually said now to where they're at um, through the end of 2019 and into 2020. Yeah, that's, uh, that's great points. I mean, that, that's one of the things that if you if you just pay attention to the market, there's still, um, you know, on the upstream side, it's, you know, I think people are feeling it uh, more acutely. Midstream side still has quite a bit of stuff going on. Um, M&A, you'll hear, you'll hear several pipelines that are, you know, under construction right now and several others that are in open season. And uh, so, the industry overall is still doing well. I think uh, I think we're just feeling it here first. And uh, but there are other other different basins like 
Eagleford that we're going to be moving to right now. Well, that, and, I mean, and, and real quick, you said something. Let me think of something. You know, one of the things we talk about sometimes is, you know, you don't like recessions, but sometimes recessions are, are necessary to kind of trim the excess. Um, and, you know, slowdowns can kind of do that. They can kind of, uh, this isn't a full-on downturn, but a, a little bit of a tick back, if you will, can trim down some of the excess, which can hone in the market. And so um, I don't know exactly what we're seeing. As I said a few minutes ago, when you talked about the prices, it's kind of hard to tell. Um, you know, I know I got uh, one listener who I've kind of been going back and forth with on a, on a private message, and I'll try to delve into some more conversation who's got some pretty strong opinions on where things are at and um, anyways we'll get to that hopefully in a few a few shows down the road but um but yeah so it, it could just simply be that the market is is kind of pruning back a little bit or it could be that there are some ominous signs to come um but again i think to my point with ellen's article and these these headlines as well we're talking about drilling not necessarily midstream or the refining sector and you can't always talk i mean if your job's midstream only then yeah then it's, it's a lot more pertinent to you but as you look at the industry in the whole uh, as a whole emp gets so much news coverage and trading gets so much news coverage that you kind of forget there's other segments of this this business that there are opportunities and, and ways to capitalize on that you that you need to maybe potentially focus on or, or shift to well several companies are doing just that they're they're looking at the eagleford uh there's four eagleford oil producers that we're going to talk about that are beginning to focus more exclusively on the Eagleford for the time being. I, I say focus exclusively. There's one company that's the one of the top producers in the Permian as well. But it seems that investors uh, at least think that this is a place where they can return, get a return on their investment uh, in a much easier fashion. I think M&A in, in Eagleford over the last year has been around $10 billion, uh, and the Permian was around twenty five point seven. So I mean, ten billion is not a small number. I mean, the Eagleford is definitely still a hot, a hot basin with um, a lot of activity going on. Seventy one drilling rigs active right now in the in the region. Uh, the one of the companies, EOG, they're the largest crew product crew producer and acreage holder in the Eagleford. They are they got about five hundred thousand net acres. They're really busy in Eagleford currently. And then you have Marathon Oil with about 145,000 net acres in Eagleford. They're also busy. What's interesting is these folks are able to come in with a lower investment. I mean, they're not turning out the numbers like the Permian, but their their investment just seems safer and maybe more repeatable. And that gives the investors a lot more confidence for them to invest in it. And, and it, I mean, I feel like we're in a time where the investors are really – um, in a very strong position in terms of leverage and getting, getting, getting what they want uh, and, and where they want it and how they want it. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of differences. I mean, there's some similarities, of course. There's a lot of differences. But, you know, we were at a lunch a few weeks ago, and um, some guy was telling us that they were, you know, drilling some wells, and we talked about pipeline stuff. He said, no, all the infrastructure is pretty much there. So you have some competitive advantages, if you will, um, for the Eagleford. Now, there's a lot of gas down the Eagleford. Um, you know, some of the – some of the, uh, I don't have the map in front of me. I believe it's the southern portion of the Eagleford is, is you know, pretty much dry gas, if I remember off the top of my head, and then the northern portion is more – uh, liquids base, but anyways, um, so you do have some some difficulties, and we did see, you know, last year or two years ago, whatever it was, companies that were down there that, you know, had overpaid for the for the asset. Now that it kind of matured and things were kind of leveled out, they couldn't make money, so people were going in and picking up the assets in bankruptcy court and stuff like that. So it is different, but but Josh and I think it was Conoco Phillips. I want to say, um, you know, they they made a they made a the transition there. Um, and so, you know, maybe in the Permian, you could look at it like this. It's kind of the big sexy thing where you can go and, you know, make big profits, 
high risk, high reward. Um, and the permian is a little bit more strategic. You're not going to make those same margins, but also maybe your risk is mitigated if you're if you play it a lot smarter. Obviously, there's a pl- uh, plenty of risk in the in the eagle fruit. I think companies have done that, and I, again, I think that's just part of the market is companies saying, you know what, um, the permian's too risky for us. It's too much price involved, or, or whatever the case would be. Let's go somewhere where it's a little bit more stabilized. Um, we know the risk. They've been there a lot longer. Um, the pipeline of infrastructure is in place, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to have your own obstacles to face, of course. But I think for some companies, it just fits their strategy. And I think we should applaud that, obviously, is saying, hey, you know what? Um, not everyone should be in the Permian. We need folks to do stuff in the scoop stack, in the Bakken, in the Eagle Fruit, whatever. And uh, you know, good for them if they're making a buck down there. Well, uh, for the Texas Roundup this week, we have several different stories that are coming out. Uh, the some are small, some are some are a little bigger. Uh, first one is Paleo Resources commences construction. This is about a uh, a mile and a half pipeline covering about eight thousand three hundred uh, feet, so about a mile and a half. Uh, so Paleo Resources that is uh, a part of the Ranger Pipeline in Polk County. Uh, Alliance Resource Partners they're acquiring nine thousand net acres from wing resources so alliance is getting 9,000 acres from wing resources that is for 145 million that's permian acreage there um oh here's an article that i saw run i'm curious your thoughts on this so u.s shell firms put up 16.5 million to build west texas charter school so this money right here is not being generated from taxes this is something that the oil and gas has elected to put up to build charter schools so they um they because of all the influx of um, people that are being brought in to service this this oil industry uh, they are putting a pretty good squeeze on some of the schools in the current structure that they have so they're giving 16 and a half million dollars to build some additional charter schools there uh, what are your thoughts on that because that that is not being taxed it seems that this is something that's being um, given almost, I don't know if you'd call it a charity, but um, addressing an issue in a way that's free for them to do. And when I say free, they're not being coerced. Yeah, that's the way this article reads. Of course, if you have more information, just shoot us a thing on the website and let us know. But it does seem to be that that's what this is, that this is going, that that they're going to donate this. Um, Good for them. I'm I'm curious to see how this this pans out. Uh, But, you know, Josh, if they want to invest in education, there's no better spot than this show. I mean, we we do. Yeah, I mean, I think 22 million is about right. So they got the they got the money allocated. Is you know, I don't know why the kids need it, not me and you. We got we got nine kids between two of us. We could start our own school. Yeah, we got our own little charter school. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna definitely keep an eye on that though, Ryan, to see what uh, what these charter schools how they how they perform and uh, and and maybe if that opens up different options. Yeah, and we need maybe Nate uh, can get us someone to come on and talk about this, you know, from uh, the Purban Strategic Partnership or or whoever it is, because this is something that we talk about promoting the industry and making sure we're trying to be fair and balanced as best we can, and you know, you know, criticizing when they do bad and, and spotlighting when they do good. This is something that we, we we need to find out more about because they are bringing a lot of people into the area. You know, um, so houses are going to be open. You know, housing you're going to create housing problems. You're going to create road issues and school issues. You know, we haven't talked about that. that I can think of at all. Um, you know, over overcrowding schools. So, I'd be curious to see how this works out. And I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not an educator, so I don't know. You know, twenty two 
sixteen point five and twenty two million sound like a lot of money. I don't know how long that goes for a charter school. Is that you know a, a, a you know a fifty year outlook, a forty year outlook, twenty year outlook? So I'd be curious to see um, someone come on and break it down. So maybe Nick can uh, track someone down and we can get them on in the next few weeks. Well, two more, Ryan. Uh, one Longhorn Midstream launches open season for touchdown crude oil gathering system. That's in the northern Delaware basin. It's about a fifty mile gathering line. So uh, they are launching an open season for that. According to this article, Business Wire, it is currently under construction. And finally, but definitely not least, Callan Petroleum acquires Carrizo Oil and $1.21 billion merger of Houston firms. So uh, that's a pretty big acquisition. That's one of the biggest ones we've seen uh, in quite some time. And that is... It's a merger of near equals focused exclusively on Texas Shell oil and gas in the Permian Basin and the Eagleford. All stock deal will leave Callan stakeholders with a 54% stake and Carrizo investors with 46. I hope I'm saying that right, Ryan. Carrizo or is it Carrizo? Um, I say Carrizo, but you know, I had someone the other day talk about the way I say I ran. I'm like, look, man, I, you know, I'm. I'm from Louisiana. I'm a redneck. I can't, you know, Iran, 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 you know, I don't know. So, Carrizo. He can, Icon. He can, Icon, Carrizo, Carrazo. And so, uh, you know, this is a side note here. Um, you know, my son the other day was talking about something, and, and you know, I, I was telling him, I said, you know, I didn't, when I went to school, now, I don't, I don't know if he didn't teach us or we didn't, or I didn't learn it. The, it, it could be I didn't learn it, but you know, f, you know, phonics and and phonetic pronunciations, I never learned that. So, I, I don't know. Did, did y'all learn that in school, Josh, or is that something that 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 they skipped our generation? Because someone sends me something, uh, was it, I don't even know how to say it, but phonetically, I'm like, oh, okay, that, that's cool. I have no idea how to how to say that, or is that just the the Louisiana public school education education system come back to get me? I'd like to blame it on them. It's probably me though. Uh, no, I don't believe they did, Ryan. I think we, uh, I, I, someone taught me at some point, it was, uh, outside of school, uh, that I learned it from, I forget who it was. I don't know if it was, uh, a family member or relative, but someone taught me at some point for about six months, some phonics when I was younger, but in school I didn't learn it. So I'm definitely not the best at it for sure. Well, I'm going to get you to teach me or something. Cause, uh, yeah, <laughs> I have people send me stuff and I'm like, Oh, if I can only, you, know, <laughs> you pronounce this wrong. This is how you pronounce it. I'm like, oh, <laughs> thank you for the effort, but it's it's unfortunately you've you've not helped me. <laughs> I need like a voice memo thing, like, hey, this is how you say it, idiot. So, uh, anyways, all right, Joshua, we got anything else before we get out of here today? No, man, I think uh, I think that covers it for today, man. I, I, uh, lots of M and A activity that came out, and uh, yeah, I think that I think that wraps it up. So we printed our retraction. Um, issued. Do we? Do we? Do we owe? I can. I can. Do we? Do we owe an apology? I mean, I'm sure he probably listens. We probably, probably. So we're 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 a we're sorry, Carl. Um, yeah. If you want to come on and talk about it, we'd be happy to to get you on to uh to to, to you know air out any grievances you might have with the show. Just don't sue us. You know, we can't we can't uh, can't afford that kind of money. Um, anything else, Josh? We got? I don't think we're we don't have no events, not like that, huh? Uh, no, 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 none that I can think of right offhand. Okay. All right. Well, thanks to listeners for tuning in. Thanks for the corrections. We do appreciate that. Texelandgastpodcast.com is where you can find us. Or if you enjoy the show, we'd appreciate a rating and review in iTunes. Connect with us on LinkedIn. And until next time, keep climbing.